Welcome to Canada's podcast. Hello and welcome to Calgary's podcast with Mario Taniguzzi on Canada's Podcast Network. Joining me today is Sean Krakuski, who is President and CEO of Nanalysis in Calgary. Thanks for joining us today, Sean. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Let's start with uh, talking a little bit about the company, uh, what it is that you guys do. Yeah, so we're, we've miniaturized MRI machines for industrial applications, uh, but also healthcare applications. So tell me like, what kind of applications are, are these uh, used for? Sure. So um, magnetic resonance is not only used in hospitals um, for, um, um, for reasons that all your audience would be familiar with, but that same technology is also used to, uh, to image molecules. So um, if you have olive oil and you want to test to see if it's actually extra virgin olive oil, um, you know, you can, you can image the molecules and find out quite precisely. If you're a big drug company like Pfizer or Johnson & Johnson, you can image molecules um, in, in the, the new drug that you're developing. You might only have a very small amount of it. You put it in a glass tube about seven um, inches high, five millimeters in diameter, um, and then you put it in our, our product, which is a toaster-sized box, um, and you can image the molecules in that to see if your R&D efforts are going as planned, you know, again, if you're designing a new drug. Of course, we seem to be in the age of cannabis, um, so um, I much prefer uh, just a, a vodka martini myself, but I know others feel differently. Um, so we have lots of customers who are are in the cannabis industry that are using our, our product to image the molecules in their cannabis oil or whatever the case may be. So that's just a smattering of applications beyond, you know, uh, human beings in a very large machine in a hospital. So how did you get into this? Well, first of all, when did the company start? I founded the company 11 years ago. Okay. And how, uh, how did you get into this field? Yeah, it, a little bit of a story to tell, if you don't, if you don't mind. So, Go ahead. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> uh, perhaps it's uh, appropriate on a podcast to tell stories, I think. So right. um, about 11 years ago, uh, a friend of mine, Dr. Michael Okanievsky, who's also a professor of electrical engineering at the University of Calgary, called me up and he said, uh, Sean, I want to meet you tomorrow at the Foothills Hospital in the Research Center. And I got something to show you. And I said, okay, well, I, I know you pretty well. I don't mind the short notice. I'll so I met, I met Michael the next day um, in, a, in a specialized room with, and he showed me this gigantic machine that had superconducting magnets and, and needed liquid helium and liquid nitrogen to keep those magnets cool. And he showed me what scientists were doing with, with this thing and mm. um, got really excited about it. And I said, hey, this is, this is in very interesting. I, I don't know what one of these machines uh, is, but um, you know, um, what does this have to do with why you wanted to meet with me? And he said, well, I want to start a business and I want to miniaturize one of these things. And I said, well, what are they called? Because I didn't recognize it. And he said, well, they're called a nuclear magnetic resonance spectrometer. And they're used in all different kinds of industries from petrochemicals to pharma, to food, um, law enforcement, um, all kinds of energy. And, um, and, and uh, we can miniaturize them and, and sell them. And I said, well, that, that's fascinating. He kind of got me going. I wasn't doing anything at the time. So um, he kind of had me hooked. And uh, we went for lunch and talked about it further. And 
and we kind of started to map out what the what the plan would be to build the initial team and the race money and and what our go to market strategy would be and everything and 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 I said this is fabulous you know I, I'm definitely in and then and then uh, when we when we ended the meeting he said one more thing Sean he said um, that machine that I showed you is exactly the same as an MRI machine. And he showed me a picture of an MRI machine. And I said, well, you don't have to show me a picture of an MRI machine. I know what those are. Everybody knows what those are. And he said, yeah, well, it's magnetic resonance technology. They use the same type of magnets, same type of liquid helium and nitrogen and so on and so forth. They're just different applications. So we're going to miniaturize the one first that can analyze substances. In other words, image molecules um, in cannabis or olive oil or petrochemicals. If we can do that, we'll also be able to miniaturize these MRI machines. Mm. And we'll, 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 they'll be so inexpensive. They'll be connected to the cloud, driven by artificial intelligence. And they'll be in every um, football stadium, every hockey rink. They'll be all over the place. Um, you can put your finger in them if you think you've dislocated your uh, your 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 knuckle during a during a volleyball game, or you can just put all, your head in them and to see if you have a concussion, and that'll be really exciting. And and so that won't be our first product, but it'll be our vision, and and we'll have several tangible steps along the way that you know will satiate investors and and so yeah. on and so forth on the way to the grand vision of being able to um, miniaturize MRI machines and making them available for human use. Um, and they'll be proliferated everywhere. And hopefully it'll be a, a different sort of regulatory environment, similar to today, you know, how you get blood pressure feedback and, and, and that sort of thing. You don't have to go to a doctor to do that. Well, one day it's going to be the same um, for MRI machines. Um, and so while well, that for sure was, you know, uh, I contacted my lawyer the, that very afternoon and said, okay, I want you to incorporate this company. Here's what we're doing and so on and so forth. And, and Michael is on our board of directors today, that gentleman that introduced me to this topic and sort of a co-founder with me, um, although he's not um, as active as I am. Um, I'm basically living, breathing and, 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 and sleeping this thing. But, uh, but that's the story on how this business got started. So what were you uh, taking at the University of Calgary? What did you take there? Uh, yeah, well, so I graduated uh, from, uh, with my undergraduate degree in electrical engineering back in the early 90s. Um, and then I, I had a business initiative after that um, and uh, had a little bit of a successful exit that gave me some flexibility. And then I went back to do my master's degree in electrical engineering as, as well. And I completed that in about the year 2000. Um, so that's where I created this relationship with, with Michael, uh, who was my supervisor back in, back in 2000, and then just became a business associate uh, after that. Okay. So... Um... When you look at the at the company uh, from the analysis and uh, into the future, what's what's your vision uh, for what you want this company to be and where it's going? Yeah. So yeah, we we've, we've embarked on a, an incredible journey to build a fully vertically integrated scientific instrumentation company, and we started from scratch. So no IP transfer from anyone. You know, we hired the scientists and developed all the intellectual property and, and patents and technology platform and, and, and then products from scratch. And we're just going to continue to go in that direction. Um, and so my vision is that, you know, we're going to go in, um, we're going to build a company that, you know, one day will go down the path towards being like a, like a Siemens or like a Philips, at least with regards to uh, magnetic resonance, not, not necessarily the sort of conglomerate aspect of it. But yeah, um, you know, trading on the NASDAQ one day with 2000 people and providing 
just incredible miniaturized MRI machines for people all over the planet. Um, and so we've achieved a lot of a lot of that vision already in that you know we're a global company, for example. So we sell in over 45 countries around the world. Um, we we have succeeded at miniaturizing the basic technology. Um, and now we're just in the process of 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 launching new product families on top of that technology platform. What uh, what are some of the, I guess, most unique uh, ways these are being used that you've come across? Yeah, so, you know, these very large machines that people are used to using, right, have to be in specialized rooms with reinforced flooring. You, you, they're like mainframe computers in the yeah. old days, right? The actual user of the computer couldn't even get near the mainframe. They would submit their punch cards or or whatever to a gatekeeper. And then the gatekeeper would run the contact them three days later and say, sorry, your, your program didn't work. There was a mistake. They'll come back again. It's kind of like that with these large um, magnetic resonance machines. Um, but they're the most um, important um, technique to analyze substances. They're the most information rich. They're the most reliable. So everybody who needs a substance um, uh, assessed or their image, their molecules image would want to use those machines if they could. But of course, what if you need to have them in a mobile lab where you're driving around? And so you can't put those giant machines in a mobile lab. Well, you can put our instruments in a mobile lab. In fact, we have a publicly disclosed um, partnership with the German police in Bonn where they're using it to quickly um, um, analyze illicit drugs. Right. So, you know, um, you, you're on the side of a road, you, you see a suspicious powder and you want an accurate measurement right away. You don't want to, you know, you're still going to send it away to the formal lab and wait three days. But, you know, this isn't the 80s where you can kind of dip your pinky in a, in a white substance and put it on your tongue and say, oh, this is, you know, I mean, you're going to die if you do stuff like that. Yeah. Sort of joking, joking there a little bit. But the point is, um, these things are very serious. And in our instrument, which is a miniaturized version of the large instruments that everybody trusts, um, in 15 seconds, you can get a preliminary answer on, you know, this is fentanyl in here, and then you can do what you need to do um, as, as the, um, you know, the formal process plays out. So there's an example of a cool application that we've succeeded at already, and we're, and we're doing many of those. Um, another one is, and this is one that I didn't anticipate when I founded the company, um, uh, bunker fuel on cargo ships. I never thought one of our instruments that we would sell uh, would be actually be on a cargo ship. But um, we we have a, a publicly announced uh, partnership with Bosch, who is a large German company that makes everything from e-bikes to dishwashers. Um, um, approached us one day and said, "Yeah, there's a, a need for about a hundred thousand of these units to go on cargo ships to analyze bunker fuel." So. Um, there, there, I never thought our instruments would be on cargo ships, but lo and behold, uh, a pretty important in, industrial technology leader in the world approached us with the opportunity to do uh, that that type of an application. So I could go on and on about the different types of applications that um, partners and customers are interested in. Let me let's talk a little bit about being an entrepreneur, Sean. Um, you know, you've been at this for, for a little while now. Uh Along your entrepreneurial journey, what were some of the key things that you've learned uh, 
uh, from uh, different areas, whether it be people or, or, or examples of other entrepreneurs or reading certain books. Where have you uh, sought, uh, I guess, wisdom and advice from? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm definitely still seeking uh, lots of wisdom, that's for sure. Um, so, you know, I never intended to be an entrepreneur, to be honest. Um, of course, my dream was to be a hockey player. Yeah. Like um, like a lot of Canadian boys, I started playing hockey um, very early and probably not like a lot of Canadian boys. And I don't tell this part of the story very often. I also wanted to be a figure skater. Oh, wow. So my dad had me into hockey and my mom had me into figure skating. She uh, she uh, she really got me interested in watching the um, Canadian figure skating legend named Toller Cranston. Some, yep. some of you might remember Toller. And so... Um, uh, and also Brian Pokar, uh, God rest his soul. Yeah. Um, and um, and so um, I had this dream. I was going to be the first person to make it in the Olympics in figure skating and hockey at the same time. <laughs> so um, eventually, eventually the figure skating dream died, but the hockey dream actually lingered uh, for quite a while. Um, and so I devoted my whole life pretty much to being on the ice. Um, whether it was trying to la land uh, an axle or, or my, my double toe loop or, or trying to make plays in hockey. So it wasn't really up until, you know, the dream died when I was about 20 years old after giving it my best shot and basically not, not being good enough. Um, I decided to be an engineer just because my dad was an engineer. And so it, no real intentions to being an entrepreneur. But, you know, one of the things I learned actually from my from my hockey career, and which is absolutely a requirement in being an entrepreneur, is perseverance. So you you really cannot get down about the you know the ebbs and flows of of how things go in a particular game or in a particular week in, in the business world. You have to have your your sights set on a vision, and you just have to persevere all through all the ups and downs. And so probably the biggest, the biggest thing that I think is, is, is that I've learned and that is a necessity, at least for me anyways, has been perseverance. Okay. We're going to go down memory lane a little bit here. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you remember, but I remember as a, a young reporter uh, uh, with the Calgary Herald in the mid eighties, I, uh, I got, I was a sports writer and uh, one of, one of my beats in the mid eighties was the Calgary Wranglers of the Western hockey <laughs> league. And that's, that's where you played. Right. And uh, uh, I'm trying to remember those years, like who was the coach at that time? Um, one of the coaches that I remember was uh, Wally Kozak again, got yes. his goal. and he was a fabulous gentleman, very insightful. Um, really just a great guy all around actually. Um, and another man that I, that year the Wranglers weren't very good, probably because I, I was playing for them. But I, that year, I think we had a couple of coaches and another fine gentleman uh, named Hank Bassett. Yes. Um, was Former, former NHLer, right? And, and uh, goalie with yep. the Pittsburgh Penguins, I, I recall correctly. Yeah, a uh, really nice man. And uh, he, um, he took control of the bench during that year as well. So it was a little bit... Uh, tumultuous, but uh, I remember you actually. And it's interesting that you brought that up. But uh, I remember you working for the Calgary Herald. But I sort of lost track of that. You, I think, maybe cut your teeth as a sports writer. So thanks for reminding me that, about that. Yeah, and I, I do remember those years uh, uh, because um, that team, and I don't know if you were part of uh, 
uh, of uh, the transition in coaching. But you did mention Wally, Hank Basson. Uh, at some point, there was a guy named Sandy Huckle. Um, and they were all kind of like the, um, how should I put it, like the, the, the really nice coaches, you know, uh, 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 but and then one year they brought in and I don't know if you played for John Chapman. Uh, yeah, was, Chappie, Chappie was a little bit of a tough cookie. Yeah, and uh, so that was uh, like a, a transition between you know the the the, the really uh, easygoing types to the really hard nose, right? And uh, yeah. and from from then you played at the University of Calgary, uh, and then um, uh, you were drafted by the LA Kings. Tell me a little bit about. Your story and, and, and hockey of what happened then. Sure. Um, yeah. So just to get the chronology right, um, you're, I, I did play for the University of Calgary. But at that point, my career was done. I had already retired and I, I was just having fun at, at UC. I was doing my engineering degree. Yeah. So, so but yeah, when I still had a chance, um, I, I did play for the Calgary Wranglers. And I also played for the Spokane Chiefs. Ah, yes. I, I, I spoke in Spokane. I played with guys like Brent Gilchrist and Mick Vakoda, just incredible hockey players that had a, a, a quite, quite an impressive stint in the NHL. But when I was done with that, I um, during that time, I got drafted by the Los Angeles Kings and uh, I signed a contract and I played in their in their farm system for a couple of years. And at that time, their farm team was in New Haven, Connecticut. Uh, where I had a really uh, amazing opportunity to play with a guy by the name of Kenny Baumgartner. Uh, right. WHL legend and just an amazing guy, really smart guy too. Um, but then I, you know, not really that interesting, wasn't that good. Um, had a couple kind of, um, you know, I guess, uh, uh, you know, good, good periods or whatever, but wasn't that good. And so that part of it is sort of boring, but, and I always tell this part of the story. I, I don't, I hope nobody's listening to this is kind of getting sick, sick of me telling this story, but <laughs> what was interesting about that time was not my part of it, but those were the Wayne Gretzky years in Los Angeles. Yeah. So I got to go to training camp with Wayne Gretzky. I faced off against Wayne Gretzky in scrimmage. I've, I've sat be, um, sat beside him one, uh, in, um, on the bench. And, you know, one time he said, uh, how you doing, kid? <laughs> I said, good. Uh, <laughs> and so that was really amazing, like to be on the ice with him and, and he, like with the movie star kind of aura that he had. Yeah, um, you know, he was in those days, he was scoring like 210 points a year. I don't, yeah. People don't remember that a human being, you know, used to do one human being used to do that. So yeah. I was just in awe and he was such a nice guy and funny guy and everything. And the, 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 the kind of joke part of the story that I always tell is, you know, I showered with Wayne Gretzky, <laughs> you know, um, and stuff like that. And, uh, and so anyway, that was a really interesting time for me. I learned a lot and uh, just in awe of, uh, again, like a movie star like personality in hockey. So, um, just really a fabulous experience that I got to go through. Uh, and then, you know, just before I was done and, you know, went back to school and started living real life. What do you think uh, from that experience uh, and sort of rubbing shoulders with with a legend like that? What do you think you learned that that uh, carries uh, through with you to, to, to this day? You know what? Um, and it wasn't just Wayne Gretzky. It was um, other people that sort of had the Midas touch. You know, I don't know if you remember Luke Robitaille. 
I certainly do. One of my favorite television shows is uh, is called Bones, and uh, Luke Robitaille shows up in in that uh, in one of the episodes uh, oh. of this, uh, where what the main character has a concussion and he's dreaming, and Luke Robitaille comes to uh, to him. So I definitely remember Luke. Yeah, no, and I remember being on the ice with Luke, and you know, uh, him take take a pass in the high high slot and just roof a snapshot underneath the bar and. It was, you know, and, and then Wayne would be dangling around out there. So probably what I learned more from them is what I'm not. I'm not, I'm not, I don't think I actually learned anything directly from them um, of things that I would want to apply, but rather just a clear contrast of, okay, you seem to have, there's, we seem to be these people that have these special talents and do all these incredible things. And I'm just not one of them. So I'm going to have to really grind it out. And that's probably one reason why I didn't succeed in my hockey career is that I wasn't enough of a grinder. And so I, in my business career, I definitely am a grinder. Um, you know, I definitely have said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, if I'm going to succeed in the business world, I'm not going to succeed as a Luke Robitaille or a Wayne Gretzky. I'm going to have to be like more like a Bobby Clark type of a character if I have any chance. Um, and that sort of dovetails into my comment before about perseverance and, and, and so on. So. That's kind of the, the approach that I've taken to my business career. Um, and I continue to do that today. Super. Well, thanks very much, Sean. That was excellent. I appreciate taking the time to talk to us today. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thanks very much, Mario. Okay, super. That was Sean Krakuski, sorry, president and CEO of Nanalysis in Calgary. This has been uh, Calgary's podcast with uh, Mario Toniguzzi on Canada's Podcast Network. Thanks for joining us today.